0: Would you take your Bible, please, friends, and turn to uh, Psalm 23? Psalm 23 is more or less right in the center of the Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, you'll notice there's one in the pew rack in front of you. And we'd be honored if you would uh, take that home as our gift to you today. Psalm 23 is where we're going to read today. Uh, We're in the middle of this sermon series on the presence of God that was initiated and kind of prompted in my head and heart uh, based on some experiences that Leslie and I had while we were in Israel. We were there for a month uh, throughout all of March and a little bit into April. And saw all kinds of things. And, uh, so I've been bringing some stories about what happened while we were there. And um, today I want to just, well I want to tell you one thing that happened that we did not anticipate at all. Through a long series of events that I can't get into this morning, we were invited to go to the home of a fairly prominent man and his wife in Ramallah. Ramallah is in the West Bank, Palestinian controlled area, Places where, a place where most Westerners would not be wanting to go or even allowed to go. And so we, we went there. Now if you know anything about Israel, you know that there's, the, there's Jerusalem, and immediately west of Jerusalem, right up to the Jordan River, is called the West Bank. And that is a place that has been in constant turmoil since 1948. It, that turmoil became more acute um, during the 19, as, as a result of the 1967 war. And then when the Intifada started in the 1990s, it became much more acute. And it's, it's a problem. The Palestinians live there. The Palestinians do not have their own country. They're not Israeli citizens. They used to be citizens of Jordan. Jordan more or less said, we don't want them. And so they actually don't have passports Uh, To travel outside of the Palestinian area is very complicated, and they have to get special travel documents from the Israelis. Uh, When we hear of suicide, or we used to hear of suicide bombers coming out of the West Bank or the Hamas area down in the south, coming into Jerusalem and blowing themselves up, that was occurring with some regularity through to about 2004, and dozens upon dozens of people were being killed every year. Beginning uh, about 10 years ago, the Israelis began putting up a very tall wall to separate Israel proper from the Palestinian area. And we don't have time to get into it all today, but that wall is 25 feet tall. It goes for miles and miles and miles, and it literally runs right through what used to be neighborhoods where Israelis, Jews would live on one side of the street, Arabs, Palestinians would live on the other side of the street. And the wall goes right through the heart of many portions of Israel. Since the wall has gone up, suicide bombings have stopped. There's no way for those bombers to get through the checkpoints. As a matter of fact, they found a suicide bomber tried to get through one of those checkpoints this week. And uh, the Israeli Defense Forces found him uh, before he made it through. So we, we were invited to go to Ramallah, which is kind of the capital, if you will, of the West Bank to go to the home of a prominent citizen there and have dinner with his family. And we would, had been told by the car rental agency, you cannot, no matter what you do, do not take this car into the West Bank. Any life, any, pardon me, life insurance, any um, car insurance that you have on it is null and void. And, and we, you, if you decide to go to the West Bank, you're going to have to go and you can't go in the car. So we got this invitation. We felt like we need to honor the invitation. And so... We drove to the checkpoint, parked the car in the parking lot, went through um, a series of checkpoints, and um, very similar to what Leslie and I used to experience when we would go to Eastern Europe in the late 70s and early 80s. And on we went. And the goal was to take a cab to this family's home and have dinner with them there. Well, we got to the checkpoint, went through the checkpoint, and just as about to leave, we saw this big red sign, probably six foot wide, 12 foot high, and in a nutshell, in Hebrew, Arabic, and English, it says, you better not come here. As a matter of fact, come here at risk of your own death. Do you see that there in English down the bottom? And so we're thinking, okay, are going to do this? Off we went. And um, we caught the cab. It took us about 20, 25 minutes to get to the couple's home. A lovely, lovely home in a very, very exclusive portion of Ramallah, overlooking the hills all the way down to Tel Aviv, to the beach. And um, absolutely gorgeous. we have been there about 30 minutes or so. So we're an hour in, maybe since we've crossed the line. And three people came in the room, a husband and wife, and another man, a single guy. And this single guy, they sit him down beside me. And as he sits down beside me, uh, our host says, "Uh, uh, Wayne, I'd like you to meet the ambassador from Egypt. I'm going, I've never met an ambassador before. This guy must be way up in, in, in the culture. And, and the, I mean, he's coming for dinner, and I'm sitting beside him. And, so you know what men are like, okay? You kind of have this small talk and to try and figure out who you are. You, I already know he's the ambassador, so it was natural for him to say, well, Wayne, what do you do for a living? And this is what goes through my mind, okay? Egypt is in the middle of a civil war between moderate Muslims and the Muslim Brotherhood. I don't know where he stands on that. And I don't know where he stands regarding Christianity. Or anything, and I'm going, oh, I don't know what this. I'm thinking this is going to be pretty tense. So I go, well, I'm clergy, thinking maybe he won't know what that is. <laughs> Just because I'm a man of faith and power and courage. <laughs> and, and he immediately says to me, I mean, his eyebrows went up. And I thought, uh-oh, here we go. And sure enough, here, okay, the next... I mean, this is two minutes into the conversation at the most. And he goes, why do you Christians... As soon as he said, I said clergy. or you a Christian minister? Yeah. Why do you Christians always take the side of the Jews? At least we Muslims acknowledge that Jesus was a prophet. And I'm, I'm going, oh, man, we're, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> there was a sign about an, an hour ago that said... <laughs> <laughs> cross this line at the risk of your own death. That's the only thing I could think of, that red sign. <laughs> and so, there you go. We've got, I've got this. And, and then I'm thinking, okay... I've got an answer for all of Christendom, for all of Christian history, and for present Christian, Jewish, and Muslim relationships with this man from Egypt of high authority. How am I going to give him an answer that's going to satisfy? And I'm telling you, I'm praying. I'm praying really fast, really hard. God, I need wisdom right now. What would you tell him? This is what I said. Well, I have to admit, sir, you're right, that... Within the Islam religion, you do recognize Jesus as a prophet. We think he's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I said, if since we take that perspective on, on who he is, then... Um, we would abide by what he says and where his finds his scriptures. And so we abide by the scriptures that Jesus identified. And those scriptures say that we should always take the side of the Jews. That's to know, we do not then say we don't take the side of anybody else. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this, friends. That experience that evening has begun some thinking, some shifting in my understanding of the Palestinian cause. But apart from that, I'm going, how 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 do you respond quickly for the, you know, 2,000 years of history, if you will, to this situation. We pr- I'm praying. I prayed really hard. God, get me back to that red sign sometime. <laughs> we pray in situations of need, don't we? We pray in situations of crisis. We pray sometimes long extended prayers. And sometimes they're prayers that just, man, they're quick like that in moments like that. As many of you know, a few days, days prior to that, before, prior to the trip to Ramallah, Leslie and I visited the Western Wall for the first time that we'd ever been there. The Western Wall is the base of what was Solomon's temple built. The t- temple was built some 3,000 years ago. Those stones that are at the bottom of the wall are 3,000 years old, and you put your hand on there and you can just sense, you know, millions of people have stood before these stones over millennia now and have prayed to God. The Jews believe that's the most holy site that they have because it is the site that is closest to where the Spirit of God used to be. If you know the story, that the, the Spirit of God used to be at the top of that wall and a few feet over, 65 feet up and over. The, the Jews had a temple there that Solomon built 3,000 years ago, and inside that temple was a, a room called the Holy of Holies, and that's where God's presence would come out of the sky in the form of a cloud, and it would come down. And so Jews today, since that temple is gone, they say, this is the closest we can get to where the presence of God is. And so they go there and they pray, and Leslie and I went there and we prayed. It's customary that when you go there, if you have a prayer of great need, you write that prayer on a note, on a piece of paper, and you stick it in the wall. What would you put on that piece of paper if you were standing there? Officials come along every now and then, and they have these little tools that they pull all the notes out of the wall and they collect them and then they burn them and they bury the ashes in Jerusalem. They bury the ashes as permanent prayers being offered to God. Some people are there on a tour where it's a once in a lifetime moment where they're going to go and pray. What would you pray? Others are there, obviously, as I was standing there repeatedly while the time we were, for the month or so that we were in the city, we went to the Western Wall many times. You would see some that were, okay, this is their one time that they get to do this. Others are here with regularity, and you could even say they, they carried themselves with great familiarity that they got to go there every day and pray. As a matter of fact, I need to tell you, that, that first day I was there, it was obvious of who was kind of common and there all the time. And at first, my first response, man, I'm envious of these people, that they get to be here every day. But then my own Christian theology and the stories of Scripture caught me and I realized, you know, God's presence is not 65 feet up and over any longer. No, if you know the story, I've told it to you every week that we've been in this series. If you know the story, you know that when Jesus died, it says in Matthew 27, that the curtain, four inch thick, the veil... We've already mentioned it in a song today, or is it coming up? I can't remember. It's coming up, right? Yeah, all right. It's, it's four inches wide, and it says that when Jesus died in Matthew 27, that veil was torn in two. Can you throw that scripture up for us, Barb? There you go. All right. And that veil was torn in two, and God's presence was no longer just above, 65 feet up and a few feet over. It, it was no longer limited to being in that holy of holy place where Only the high priest got to go in there once a year. Now suddenly God's presence was open to all people and I'm standing at the bottom of that wall that first day and I'm reminded that I can bring prayers to God today and I don't have to get inside the presence of God in terms of this little room. No, God's presence is among me, it is within me, is among us and we can pray and have direct access to God. So with that understanding... Let me direct your attention to the passage that we started reviewing last week. Let's discover what it might say in regards to our prayers and the hopes for our families, the hopes for our vocations, the hopes for our locations, in other words, where we live and where we work, our futures. Read with me Psalm 23 and see what it says The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. As we looked at this last week, we talked about the direction of God's presence leading us to places of peace and places of wholeness. Look what it says in verse three. He refreshes my soul. As I follow his direction and follow his presence, the result of that, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake and even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want us to take a moment or two and really focus in on on verse 3, where it talks about the refreshing or the restoration of our souls, because I believe it's closely related to the prayers we bring to God. You know, those prayers that if we could write them out, they'd be prayers for a better future, a changed setting, a new set of possibilities. Some of you, as you look at that verse right there, you're looking at your version that says refresh. Others may say the word restore. If you have a King James Version, it says restoreth. All those words are appropriate and very hopeful. I'll see if I can give you a little Hebrew here, the language it was originally written in, to give you some understanding of what Scripture is saying. That word restore, refresh, is a three-character word in Hebrew. To understand Hebrew, you start on the right, so that... That character that looks like a side of, kind of like a menorah with a dot on it, that's the S. That's the S sound in Hebrew. The dots are actually the vowels. In ancient Hebrew, they didn't write out vowels because vowels take up more space, and thus you have to buy more papyrus in order to to write. Does that make sense? So they had little dots so you could know where the vowels went. It's called pointed text. And that word means to turn back, to return, to, to restore, to refresh, and take back. And so what is, it, what is it saying in Psalm 23 when the psalmist said, the Lord refreshes my soul, he restores my soul? Basically, it's that God is intensely turning us back, bringing us back, restoring, refreshing, and actually taking us back because he's leading us there, right? right? He's guiding us in the right paths. He is taking us back to a place of spiritual life and health in which our soul if you will, our innermost spiritual, mental, and emotional being, our soul, is replenished with his eternal and life-giving presence and truth. And if you think about it, this business of wholeness and health, isn't that really what our prayers are usually all about? We want health and wholeness in each setting that we bring to him. The prayers and thoughts that you've lifted to God throughout this past week, or maybe the ones that you've even kind of... Gone in your head, to your heart, in the context of this worship service. They're prayers, aren't they, that ask for complete health and wholeness in your family, in your workplace, in your own life, or many other settings. I mean, who prays God? I pray for, I pray for half health. And that's, nobody does that, right? We say, God, we want this to be completely made well. This setting to be fully whole and healthy. That's what it's all about. And so when we, say, when we read in scriptures where God refreshes our souls, it's, it's the scripture saying that God wants to restore and refresh all that to us. We pray those kinds of prayers in the midst of loss. We pray them in the midst of disappointment. Disappointment and loss is an experience that is common to all people. And when I say common, it's not that it's faced um, by us each and every day, but it's something that is common to people I know of no one or neither have I read of anyone who has ever made it all the way through life without a series of disappointments and losses at various points along the way. And I'm I'm an optimist at heart, but I'm also a realist and know that sometimes life is very difficult. Sometimes those losses and disappointments come to us through the choices that we make and we just mess up. Other times those losses or disappointments come to us because somebody else made a decision for us and we don't have any choice in the matter. And we are faced with ugliness as a result. Sometimes it comes simply through no choices on anyone's part, just bad events of life. But we all know disappointment. We all know places where something's not fully whole. We know what it's like to have something taken from us. We're moving along through life and we discover that we've been violated somehow or other. And something has, has terribly gone wrong. We also know what it's like to have been the, not only the recipient of wrongness, but to actually be the perpetrator of wrongness at times, don't we? We wish we could take back words that we said too harshly or statements that we made with far too little thought. And so given that setting of life, we know the need for restoration, and we know the call within our hearts for this idea that God would refresh our souls, even in the cases where we're the ones who messed up. In The Essential Calvin and Hobbes, Bill Watterson says that the cartoon character has this talking to his friend Hobbes, and, um, and uh, Calvin says, you know, Hobbes, I, I really feel bad about what I did to Susie. I I called her some really bad names, and I'm sorry I did it. And Hobbes suggests, well, maybe you should apologize to her. And Calvin says, after some pondering, well, I keep hoping for a less obvious solution. (laughs) How many of us are like that at times in the midst of these difficult moments and these situations that we create or others create? We go, man, if I could just have a less obvious solution... Calvin is like you and me. He was wrong. He knew it. He knows he needs to make things right. He knows he's got to have things back, move back to a place of wholeness and health. But he wants it to happen the easy easy way. But we've got to remember that if we want to restore a relationship with God or anyone else, God always has a liking for the most obvious solution, even if it's not the easy one. What might that be? In the midst of your prayers. There's a story in 2 Kings 20 that illustrates this very well. 2 Kings 20 is a passage of scripture that uh, is placed probably 2,800 years before now, 800 years before the birth of Jesus. It tells the story of a king by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20 is an old man. He's not, he's not elderly, but he's old. He's past middle age. And uh, 2,800 years ago, he gets a boil on his skin The skin becomes infectious, the infection spreads, and it becomes apparent that he's going to die from what is, in essence, in our day and time, would be a simple infection. But he's going to die. And the prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, Hezekiah, you better get your house in order because you're going to die soon. And so Hezekiah goes before the Lord, and he weeps before God, and he says, God, I want to be healed, and God, I want you to remember that I served you faithfully. I've, I've honored you all of my life. And God says, okay, you're right. I'm going to give you 15 more years. And then Hezekiah says, I want to know how I'm going to have 15 more years. And the prophet says, well, there's going to be a sign from heaven that's going to be given. Hezekiah, go to the temple and watch the sundial. And they were used to watching the sundial as we would watch a sundial. The sun is here, the shadow is over here. And as the sun moves, the shadow moves that way, right? That makes sense. Does that make sense to you? It does to me. But God says through the prophet hey, I'm going to move the sun and then just prove that you're going to get an extra 15 years. Watch the shadow. And once the shadow meets this particular way, space, watch it go back 10 whole steps. Watch the shadow defy natural causes. And as you see that, that's going to be your indication that your world is going to change. And that's what happens. What's fascinating in that passage of scripture to help us understand Psalm 23 is that word of the shadow going backwards. Remember, we said the word is to restore or refresh, and it means to go back? It's the same word that you find in Psalm 23 when we say that God restores our souls. What does that mean? It wasn't that Hezekiah would have a portion of his life to live all over again. I mean, he was still the same age, he wasn't suddenly 15 years younger. Being restored for Hezekiah, being refreshed for Hezekiah meant that more time would be added to his life. He'd receive an additional 15 years. His life was extended. His time was extended. And I would ask you today, are you in a setting in this place, in this room today, where you would say, Pastor, this happened. That happened. This setting is in play right now. Part of what was right has been stolen. The disappointment is, Evident on, in me right now. Where it's very deep down. And I, I, I just want it to go back. I just want to see my life restored and refreshed. Yeah, I, I can't redo the past. Perhaps it was a relationship. Perhaps it was a job you had that you absolutely loved and circumstances or someone else took it away. In the case of the church, maybe it was a situation. You know, and this does happen in all churches. Where you had great joy in serving. And yet something happened, and you, it just got messed up, and that, an event occurred that tore the fabric of your soul, and you say, I'll never trust the church again. Regardless, I have a specific prayer for you as you think about this today. I pray that you will receive the freshing of God Almighty. May years be added to you. The past can't be changed, but the future can. Psalm 23 says that God restores our souls. I pray that God will restore your soul, that he'll give you more time, that more time will be added to you. More time, if you will, to acknowledge God's care, God's goodness, his love, his restoration, and what others or settings or even you may have stolen from yourself, if you will. I pray that it'll be all made refreshed as God gives you new time and your soul is restored. So with all that in mind, let me take you back to the Western Wall again. The first time that I visited there. What would you pray about? What would you write on a note that you were going to leave inside some crevice in the wall to be collected, burned, and buried as a consistent prayer to God? Think about what I might have left. What do you think Wayne Kent left in the the wall there? Goes partly to my life stage. I'm in my mid-50s. A lot of things are really sweet for Leslie and I right now. A lot of years of hard work, you know. We're seeing the fruit of that and it's cool times, it's good stuff. But in your mid-50s, what do you face? What do you pray about most intently? I'll tell you what, I put on notes in that wall that first time, I prayed for my kids. And the kids and the children of our friends and contemporaries, because those children are now young adults in their 20s. They're young adults making long-standing decisions about spouses and vocations and locations where they're gonna live. They're choosing lifestyle settings that can have long-lasting implications. And those matters weigh on my heart and soul with regularity. As a man of faith, though, I'm really pleased to say that God's presence is close to me and those kids who are now adults. I've watched them grow up, not just my kids. But if you've seen me deal with some of the 20 somethings who I've watched grow up in this church, in our home from this size up, and you get to a wedding and I'm supposed to do a wedding for them, it's a killer emotionally. I've had some trouble, in, I've sobbed in one wedding, it was uh, just awful. They thought it was hilarious. It wasn't even my daughter. They weigh heavily on my heart. But I'm glad that God's presence is worked out through the work of the Holy Spirit with answers to prayers for those people, those young adults. Those answers to prayer come in a divine sequence and timing that is absolutely a good long-term trajectory. Because this is what scripture states. Scripture states that the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And the scripture states that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I'm not crushed in spirit today. My kids are not crushed in spirit. But I am a person who calls on God in truth as best as I can, as best as I know. Asking him to be engaged in every area of my life and in the lives of everybody that I consider dear. Including you, dearly beloved. My prayer in the times we visited the wall after that first time included you. My prayer for those who are in this room is this that if you need restoration and refreshing in God's presence, that God would speak to you. If you're in this room where you represent someone who needs ref- refreshing and restoration, And may the God of all creation be present to his presence in your life today. That's my pastoral prayer as the pastor of this congregation today, that you would experience refreshing in every area and aspect of your life. Now, as we've thought about that as staff, as a way to help you experience that today, Uh, I'm going to ask you to participate in something meaningful that's going to be, I need to tell you, a little chaotic, which is perhaps not the way we always do things here at First Christian Church, hopefully, but we have um, put together an an exercise for the last 10, 15 minutes of the service today that's intentionally not all that organized. Let me see if I can explain it this way. We are a praying church, and we're going to go to a season of prayer right now. And uh, if you were to go to the Western Wall, what you're going to discover is that it's pretty chaotic there. There's all sorts of stuff going on from, uh, well, it's, I'll just, uh, in the interest of time, just let me tell you, there's people everywhere. And when you get down to the, to the, to the bricks, while it's quiet and, and you can get yourself focused there, right behind you, it's, it's, it's chaos, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and in a moment, the worship team is going to come and lead us in worship. And while that's going, to going on, we're going to do some things that we normally do during prayer time worship. That is, leaders of the church are going to be here at the front of the room. If you have a specific prayer request, they're going to pray with you. It's going to be more to the side of the room, though, this morning. So you're going to be invited to come and do that. But while that's going on, the rest of the church is going to be involved in a process of both worship and prayer. In the program that you got when you walked in the room today, you saw perhaps two blank pieces of paper. If you didn't get one, there are some in the pew rack in front of you. There should be at least, okay? And those papers are there for you to write out a prayer. And just like at the Western Wall, we're going to collect those prayers. I'm going to staple them together in about groups of 10 or so. And then the pastors and the elders will pray over them in the coming days. Then we're going to do what they do in Jerusalem. We're going, to bear, we're going to burn them and we're going to bury them on the grounds of First Christian Church as a lasting memorial to the ways in which you leaned into God today for a very specific and special need. I'm convinced of this, that God wants to restore the issue that you write on the paper. It may not be in the way in which you expect, but I do know that God will act for certain. And then... After you write on them, um, we're going to have a, a copy, if you will, of the Western Wall. is going to be right here in the front of the sanctuary. And I'm going to invite everybody who wants to, to come and put your note of prayer in the wall. Now let... Can I grab one of those pieces of paper just quickly? Let me tell you something I've learned in having done this already twice in this weekend. Don't fold your paper till you get up to the wall or else you'll... If you fold it too tightly, it won't stay in, okay? So just hold it like this, and when you get up, you'll be able to see how to get it in the wall, okay? But if you fold it too tightly, it's it's not going to stay in, and we're going to do it this way. We're not telling you to come by rows. This is where the little chaos comes in. All we're saying is, as you come to put it in the wall, come the center aisle. If you're in the balcony, we want you to go down the back stairs, come down the center aisle, and then go up the side stairs. So everything's going this way, all right? Prayer's going to be over there. The worship team's going to be up here. The, it's going to be a little chaotic, and it's going to take us a little while. But I'm aware of this. This is your act of faith. You've got something written there that's important. This is your act of faith to step out of the pew and say, God, this is really pushing the envelope for me, but I'm willing to put this and say, I want people praying over this. This is me acknowledging my needs. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to go play the piano while you're all right. Then in a few minutes, I'll invite you to stand. And as the elders and pastors come to pray, the worship team will sing and you all will come. You got it? Sort of. <laughs> Let me pray and we'll, we'll lead you through the whole thing, all right? Let's pray. Father, in these next few minutes, there are people all over this room, God, myself included. We've got stuff in our lives where we need to know of your care. And we ask, God, that you would refresh different matters that we're bringing to you right now. And, Lord, there are different matters for different people. Some it is about families. Others it's about children. Maybe it's about their health. Maybe it's about their vocation, about where to, what location to live at. Regardless, Lord, we bring it all to you today in the name of Jesus. We pray this with great sincerity, great faith. Walk us through this exercise of faith and prayer right now, we pray. Amen.